Hello, podcast listeners. This is Matt, your host for Planetary Radio. Uh, Those of you who are new to the show, every once in a while I come up with a special little uh, message for those of you who hear us this way rather than on the radio or satellite radio. This time, as usual, we want to thank you for, first of all, being listeners to the show and participating in any way you can. Maybe you enter the uh, trivia contest. Maybe you still haven't won a Planetary Radio t-shirt. Well, stay tuned because... We might be able to tell you how to do that without having to answer a trivia question. But really what this is about is asking for your help. It is that time of year, I'm afraid, as we uh, get close to the end of the fiscal year for the Planetary Society, when um, all of us are expected to uh, show that we've uh, pulled our own weight, including the radio show. In fact, there's a goal set for Planetary Radio uh, at the Society, which... uh, you know, is is still a uh, struggling nonprofit. Uh, these are tough times for nonprofits, you know. Not really all that much money, not compared to oh, I don't know, putting a rocket in orbit, but um, still a pretty substantial amount for an organization like ours. When this kind of thing happens, we have to look to you folks. Can you find it in your uh, in your hearts and in your wallets to help out? You cannot believe how much we will appreciate uh, anything that you're able to do to uh, help make sure the Planetary Radio remains something that you can enjoy on a weekly basis. Uh, Hopefully you're enjoying it as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Uh, Best place to do this is online at planetary.org slash radio. There's a link there that says make a donation today. And if you click that link at planetary.org slash radio, You'll even see that if you are able to donate $50 or more, we will send you your very own Planetary Radio t-shirt that you can uh, wear proudly, knowing that you are not just a listener, but somebody who helps to make this show happen every week. Some of you have already done that. Thank you so much, especially uh, those of you, and and we hope others who have not gotten to it yet will, uh, will join them in this appeal. Once again, go to planetary.org slash radio, and there's a link there that says make a donation today. Thank you so much. I've taken up enough of your time. Let's get on with today's show. Students for the Exploration and Development of Space, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome to Public Radio's travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society. Across the United States and in many other countries, there are still college students who are, in the words of my guest today, space geeks. Some of them work and party together as members of a 30-year-old group called SEDS. I'll talk today with their national chairman, Iowa State senior Rick Hanton. One of the things we'll hear from Rick is about how a certain science guy is still revered by students who grew up watching his TV show. We'll pay a What's Up visit to Bruce Betts later today, but first up is Planetary Society blogger and science and technology coordinator, Emily Lakdawalla. Emily, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with this uh, story about Pluto's atmosphere, which I flagged because it looked like it would make for a great conversation. And it certainly looks like it's going to make that uh, visit by New Horizons uh, even more interesting than it might have been. Yeah, you know, astronomers are very interested in Pluto's atmosphere, not just because it's interesting that Pluto has an atmosphere, but also because the atmosphere is what makes Pluto's size so uncertain. 
Um, so they've been studying it very carefully with various telescopes and spectrometers. And they, you know, wanted to characterize the atmosphere, especially because they were concerned that as Pluto has passed through its perihelion, its closest approach to the sun, they figured the atmosphere was going to be freezing out onto the surface over time. Well, it turns out that the opposite is true. The atmosphere is actually puffing up and getting thicker over time. And the the article that I summarized had to do with the first time detection of carbon monoxide in Pluto's atmosphere. It's not a huge constituent of Pluto's atmosphere. The atmosphere like ours is mostly nitrogen, but there are these minor species. And a previous astronomical survey had tried to find carbon monoxide and failed and said, well, we know there can't be more than this X amount. And it turns out that what was detected this time was twice that amount that they'd previously said was too small. So um, this is quite a surprising result. It means that Pluto's atmosphere is changing on a very rapid timescale. And so we can hope that New Horizons is going to see a dwarf planet that's uh, changed very rapidly and might have some new features on its surface. Before we run out of time, let's jump to another story that you posted on uh, April 20th. It is basically about this document, about the Voyager flights, uh, historical now PDF that you have posted. That looks like a terrific booklet that you were able to find, uh, but also this invitation to people uh, who may have documents like this sitting on shelves gathering dust to please make these available online. That's right. I just posted this very pretty document full of color pictures that was printed in 1982 after both Voyagers had passed by Jupiter and Saturn. And, you know, this thing, JPL had it printed up after those very successful encounters. And we had stacks of them at the Planetary Society. We couldn't give them away. We had so many. But, of course, it was never made available in electronic format. And now that we've moved and gotten rid of all of our copies, and I'm sure that Many other people have likewise gotten rid of, of old junk, what they thought was junk, and, and now we realize they're not available anymore. So I'm indebted to a reader for scanning this particular document and helping me make it available online. And so I invite people to check their libraries for uh, moldy old documents that, that they can't find on the Internet. And if you have a scanner, please, I, I would love the donation of your time to scan a few of those pages and send them on to me. Emily is the Science and Technology Coordinator for the Planetary Society and a contributing editor to Sky and Telescope magazine. She joins us every week here on Planetary Radio. Thanks very much, Emily. Thank you, Matt. I also want to point out an Earth Day entry, that is April 22nd, from the Executive Director of the Planetary Society, Bill Nye, where Bill tells us about how he rode his bike into Washington, where he grew up, to celebrate the very first Earth Day. Speaking of Bill... Hey, Bill Nye, the Planetary Guy here, Executive Director of the Planetary Society. And this week is the penultimate, the second-to-last space shuttle flight. Now, many people think of this as the end of human space exploration, but oh no, my friends, this is the beginning. Once this spacecraft is retired, we can move forward. We'll have more dollars and euros and yen and yuan and so on to invest to send people farther and deeper into space. And speaking of which... This shuttle flight is going to carry the LIFE, the Living Interplanetary Flight Experiment. This is a kooky little idea from the Planetary Society. We have freeze-dried, special, very well understood microbes and the cutest little water bears, the tardigrades, these very, very small animals that live in moss. Well, they live all over the world in different forms, but they're going to get a ride on the second-to-last space shuttle flight and get a little zero gravity, a little bit of extra radiation that you get in low Earth orbit, and will be the beginning of our test to see if living things can travel from one planet to another. In November, we're going to send the same style of microbes, another life module, 
from here to the moon of Mars Phobos and back. And we'll see if living things can make the trip. So this weekend, along with all the other excitement, the, the president will be there. The pilot is Mark Kelly, husband of Representative Giffords. But along with all that is the living interplanetary flight experiment. And if you're a Planetary Society member, you're a supporter of this. It's, it's a thing where people around the world just wonder about this crazy hypothesis. Can living things get from one planet to another? This shuttle will be retired. And, and while it's being retired, people are coming out of the aluminum work, if I may, to support these shuttles. Like, oh, the shuttles are retiring. We want one in our city. We want one in our city. It shows you that the worldwide love of human spaceflight is still there. We just need to harness it and go farther and deeper into space to more exciting destinations. And we will make discoveries that will, dare I say it, change the world. I got to fly Bill Nye the Planetary Guy. What do you do if you're a college student who'd rather go to Mars than another frat party? Well, if you're lucky, your campus has a chapter of an organization called SEDS. Students for the Exploration and Development of Space was begun in the early 80s when a lot of people were worried about whether the final frontier was still a national priority. Rick Hanton is the current chair of SEDS USA. The Iowa State computer engineering major joined me a few days ago for a conversation about what SEDS does and how students can get involved or start their own chapter. Our Skype connection wasn't the best, but I think you'll be able to hear his enthusiasm not just for the organization, but for a goal many of us who are long past college still share. Rick, thanks very much for joining us on Planetary Radio. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. It's uh, uh, an inspiring organization. I uh, I wish it had been around when I was uh, in the middle of my college career, which you are uh, finishing up at least your uh, bachelor's degree? Yep, I'm finishing up my bachelor's uh, here at Iowa State University right now uh, in computer engineering. Well, congratulations in advance for that. How long have you been involved with SEDS? Well, it's it's been kind of a growing process over time. Back when I was just a freshman, I came in, and I started getting. Int- I was interested in a lot of different groups here on campus. We have a lot of different active uh, campus groups, one of which was the Iowa State Space Society, which had uh, a year or two before become a chapter of SEDS USA and was formerly a chapter of the National Space Society. Started working with them and eventually uh, uh, managed to land myself in their very not well attended meeting to set up the new people that would be running the group for the next year. And so managed to become an uh, officer with the group and eventually worked my way up to basically running the group, being the president of the group, and uh, eventually kind of climbed the ladder up into uh, SEDS USA, which um, I was the director of expansion for SEDS USA for the last uh, two years before I became chairman. And then this uh, past year, since November, uh, I've been the chairman of SEDS USA. That's a nice record of advancement. Is SEDS entirely a student organization, student-run, and uh, students are members? Yeah, SEDS definitely prides itself on being a organization that was started by students and has been run basically only by students for the last 30 years. How many chapters are there? Uh, do you know offhand across the U.S.? And and then, you know, you're the head of SEDS USA, so I guess there are chapters overseas. Right. Currently, the last time I saw it, there's 29 chapters right now, um, or at least this year, in the U.S., um, and I know of at least two, I believe, that should be coming online within probably the next month. 
back in the original heyday of SEDS, back in the 1980s, when I think there was a lot of... Uh, SEDS kind of started from all this feeling that the United States wasn't doing anything in the space sector. And there's also a number of groups uh, overseas, although each country basically uh, manages its own, its own self. There's no real global SEDS board or anything at the moment. There, there has been in the past, though. So SEDS probably got its start at about the time that uh, the Planetary Society was getting underway back in the 80s with the same feeling in mind. Now, a lot of people say that uh, we're kind of in the same boat that you were talking about, the, why things got started back in the 80s, that the United States is not doing enough in space. And I will say, maybe that only applies to humans in space. I mean, what do you think? You know, there there are a lot of things, I think, going on in the space sector today. But we, we are in definitely the same place, I think, we hit around 1980. I believe, if I'm right, uh, both of our organizations were formed in the same year. But yeah, we're we're kind of in the same place where... It's like, where do we go from here? Obviously, there is a lot of robotic missions around. And so those are really, really wonderful. But yeah, in, in human spaceflight, it's definitely kind of a transition time, right, with the uh, space shuttle completing its mission and uh, a lot of different new things possibly coming online. We'll see what happens. You know, regular listeners to this program uh, heard our uh, show from a Space Up conference that was done, an unconference down in San Diego recently, and I would be surprised if a lot of the young people there are not also SEDS members. Is this something that is part of the SEDS mission, this whole idea of new space and commercial space development? Well, it's kind of one of the things we, we definitely talk about a lot in SEDS. On the other hand, it's it's something we kind of struggle with a little bit because SEDS really encompasses a lot of different students, and while a good proportion, maybe a majority of them, are really, really excited about commercial space ventures and uh, some of the new companies, the uh, SpaceX's Blue Origin and all, all those other companies coming out with interesting new vehicles and needing engineers and needing scientists, they think that's great. But then there's also kind of contingents of SEDs that aren't always so thrilled with some of that the new arrivals of new companies on the scene and um, think that NASA should be the really the prevalent explorer of space. That's so. interesting. It sounds like within the organization, you've got the same kind of dichotomy that uh, the rest of us uh, uh, are dealing with. I mean, is there a typical SEDS member? I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if there's really a typical SEDS member, basically because um, as kind of a, a pyramid type organization, you know, we're really at the SEDS USA level, our goal is basically just to keep the chapters together, work together, do joint major projects but each chapter kind of has its own little uh, a feel and different projects that they like to work on. Um, some of them are very into doing astronomy things, and others are very into doing lots and lots of outreach or getting their hands dirty in some uh, some amateur rocketry. Our mission is really to support all of that and to get the public involved. And so that's due at the national level? Well, at the national level, basically, you know, our, our whole job is to tie everything together and to um, to work with other organizations like the Planetary Society and help our members put together a great conference each year, that kind of that kind of thing. And hopefully um, one of our, our goals currently and kind of for the next year or two is to actually provide more funding and more initiatives and stuff from the, the national side of SEDS just to help out our chapters, which generally you know, get their funding from the university or from sponsors or from their state's space grant organization. That's Rick Hanton, chair of SEDS USA, Students for the Exploration and Development of Space. Our conversation will continue in a minute. This is Planetary Radio.
I'm Sally Ride. After becoming the first American woman in space, I dedicated myself to supporting space exploration and the education and inspiration of our youth. That's why I formed Sally Ride Science, and that's why I support the Planetary Society. The Society works with space agencies around the world and gets people directly involved with real space missions. It takes a lot to create exciting projects like the first solar sail, informative publications like an award-winning magazine, and many other outreach efforts like this radio show. Help make space exploration and inspiration happen. Here's how you can join us. You can learn more about the Planetary Society at our website, planetary.org radio, or by calling 1-800-9-WORLDS. Planetary Radio listeners who aren't yet members can join and receive a Planetary Radio t-shirt. Members receive the internationally acclaimed Planetary Report magazine. That's planetary.org radio. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. I really do wish SEDS had been around when I was in college. The current National Chair of Students for the Exploration and Development of Space is Rick Hanton, and he's my guest on today's show. Rick is a graduating senior in computer engineering at Iowa State University. He has already told us what the organization has been up to since it was formed 30 years ago. The SEDS mission is actually not so different than that of many other space interest organizations, and it has worked with many of them. You've mentioned working with the Planetary Society a couple of times. Of course, that's the organization that produces this program. So I don't want to sound too self-serving here, but 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 is that some kind of new relationship or partnership? Yeah, it's a that's a new partnership. We were talking recently with the Planetary Society folks, and actually with uh, Bill Nye the other day. And uh, you wouldn't believe how excited the board of ZUSA was to talk with Bill and. Um, Actually, that now now that Bill hopefully will be opening our conferences here. So oh, that's great! I didn't know that. That's terrific. <laughs> he's <laughs> he, he's uh, I I don't know, you know I don't know how much you you realize this or um, you know some people realize this, but Bill's definitely kind of uh, quite the science celebrity among uh, folks my age. I have been with him on at least a couple of college campuses. <laughs> yeah, you are, yeah, okay, you'd see that. <laughs> you are his demographic, and it is a great thing to see. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, I, uh, I had a guy, uh, when I met Bill last uh, April, we were at this conference thing, and there was a guy who was, you know, must have been in his late 20s, and was curious why people kept on running up to this Bill guy in a blue suit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's definitely, definitely this, you know, this age demographic. Yeah, really. I'm glad I got into it uh, while he was doing the show. Uh, in the past, SEDS has had partnerships with a decent number of other organizations. Some of them we have really tight and close partnerships with some of them not so much but um in the past we've worked a lot with the uh, national space society and the international space university both of which we have very good ties with especially i guess isu because our founder or our founders uh, peter demandes bob richards todd holly uh, also founded that organization so yeah i mean with peter demandes who uh, hopefully our audience uh, recognizes that name right up front from x prize foundation and lots of other things that uh, he has going on i don't know how he juggles it all frankly but <laughs> yeah but we all, so we work with uh, nss isu 
the the Space Frontier Foundation, hmm. uh, the American uh, Astronautical Society to some extent, and uh, Yuri's Night, which for a number of years we actually hosted the Yuri's Night website until they kind of moved off and did their own thing. But it's still kind of the same. It's, it's actually a decent number, if not maybe 50% or something of the, the planning crew at Yuri's Night that are former SEDS or current SEDS members. Yeah, you know, I got involved with the SEDS chapter at Caltech when it started putting Yuri's Night together and did the webinar. I forgot that SEDS had uh, sponsored or, or hosted the website in those uh, early years of, uh, of Yuri's Night celebration. Did you guys have a big time uh, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, we actually, um, it was all kind of different chapters having their own Yuri's Night celebrations, but I think a lot of chapters had really great get-togethers for Yuri's Night. I, last year, I got a bunch of them to throw up some pictures and stuff on our website, so hopefully I can do that again. Mm-hmm. But I know here at Iowa, we had a, a really great turnout. We brought in some uh, some pizza and some uh, some Buffalo Wild Wings and <laughs> uh, had our had our uh, the aerospace department chair talk about his experiences, which were actually quite impressive, um, and did a few other things like launching some high-altitude uh, uh, sounding balloons and stuff like that. So it was, oh, really, cool. it was really great. Yeah, I, I faintly remember the college students have an idea of how to have a good time and, and party, <laughs> party hard. How much of SEDS is just the chance to get together with like-minded people who believe that uh, we still have a destiny in space? I think that's a big part of it. I guess for my... <laughs> I probably have a little bit different perspective than uh, some SED students and some of the younger members of SEDs because kind of as getting into chair and, and things I did before that, I, I've been to the last, I think, four of our, our national space vision conferences. And that that is especially like a big part of SEDs is trying to get, get yourself to space vision because it's really great because you can, you know, you meet all these people, um, some of whom are just amazing folks who are thinking the exact same things as you and uh, form these cross-country friendships that definitely last for a long time. So now I, you know, now it's great because I, I know people who, I don't necessarily work there, but I, I know people who are working at SpaceX and Blue Origin, and one of my good friends is working at Armadillo Aerospace. And so it's really cool to like know all these people and be able to chat with them about what we all think that the United States and the world should be doing up in space. We are just about out of time. Uh, Hopefully we've got a few people out there, maybe some freshmen, who are hearing this and maybe don't even have a chapter on their campus. Uh, What should they do? How can they find out more and maybe even uh, interest some other folks in starting a chapter? Well, I guess the first thing to do is to gauge some interest. If a person and their friends want to get together and form a chapter or um, actually one of the things we've we've done a little bit the last couple of years is uh, we've enticed a few AIAA chapters, which many universities have to be AIAA slash SEDS chapters. So, so our, uh, we've got a group up in Wisconsin that is like that and actually won our uh, prize for being one of the best new chapters last year. You know, any chapter that's interested or any group that's interested, a p- person that's interested actually, can just go to our website at SEDS.org and check out kind of all the information we have there. Um, I know over the past couple of years, uh, if you dig around on the site, there I've kind of put together a little bit of a work through of exactly how you go about starting a chapter step by step. Another easy way is just to contact our director of chapter expansion at expansion at seds.org. Excellent. And, and she'll definitely help out. Easy enough uh, website. We'll put up a link to it, of course, but it is just seds, S-E-D-S dot org. Uh, yeah. Only got a couple of seconds left. What's next in your life? Uh, next to my life? Well, uh, for the summer at least, and possibly into the future. I'll be working out at uh, Rockwell Collins' company out in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is 
uh, going to be a little bit of fun because uh, my boss has, is, also, is also a big space geek like me. And so he's been having a lot of great space programs that he's trying to work on, such as a program for Boeing and their CST-100. So that'll be a lot of fun. (laughs) Rick, it's been fun talking to you, too. Uh, Good luck with that. Good luck with your career. And uh, I hope that uh, we'll be talking to you again someday as one of the people that's uh, helping us uh, reach that uh, destiny in space that I was talking about. Great. Well, it's been great to talk with you, too, Matt. Rick Hanton is the chairman of SEDS USA. SEDS is the Students for the Exploration and Development of Space. He is a graduating senior in computer engineering at Iowa State University here in the USA. We're going to move on to What's Up with our friend Bruce Betts in just a moment or two here. Stay tuned. Back in Bruce Batt's office for this week's edition of What's Up? He's the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society. I got a question for you uh, to begin with. Are, are you going to the launch, which is just a few days away as we speak? I am indeed. I hate you so much. <laughs> Don't cry, man. It's just embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I can't believe this. And why am I staying? I can't go to see the launch for the Planetary Society because I have to stay here for the Planetary Society. So I'll miss things here while I'm catching things there. Now, I was also dead wrong about something I said last week. I said that the shuttle life organisms were already loaded on Space Shuttle Endeavor. They're not. They are not. They are not. In fact, they are here saying their goodbyes with us right now. They're see you laters. There they are. It's amazing. It's a little vile. Sunning. (laughs) Okay, they're not sunning themselves. They're they're in sealed up in their sample tubes. They're ready to head off to Florida, but they actually load these biological experiments quite quite late in the game. So, so I'll shocked. be going down for the loading uh, of the our sample tubes into the wells of the commercial payload, the Crest payload that we're part of. You you do a good job there on our behalf. I will try. Well, while I'm there, I'll look up in the night sky and uh, in the evening sky, Saturn uh, up in the east yellowish looking great with a telescope particularly if you look later in the evening when it's higher up uh, overhead the pre-dawn sky craziness craziness in the next month and a half it's still right on the edge of early so you have to catch it's really close before dawn eastern horizon but if you can't see what i'm going to tell you about now keep looking over the next few weeks because all through may four planets so we go from saturn being pretty much the only thing visible Four planets just in the pre-dawn sky, plus Saturn. We've got Venus, which should definitely be visible low on the horizon, super bright. And then Jupiter, a little less bright, but still really, really bright. And then the other thing that's not as bright, that's whitish, is Mercury. And then Mars, reddish. All crazy, doing some close conjunctions with each other. I'll keep you posted over the coming weeks. You can even throw in a crescent moon on April 30th and May 1st, hiding in the in that group low on the eastern horizon uh, shortly before dawn. Not to be missed. Don't miss it. Although you've got a, the next few weeks to check it out. Uh, we move on to this week in space history. Bit of a slow space week as things go. Still some interesting stuff. One big thing, Hubble Space Telescope was deployed in 1990. 21 years. That, that's just, it's, it's kind Surely of Surely you're counting wrong. yeah that's weird sure make me think about it uh also a planetary geologist uh, for whom our gene shoemaker neo grants near-earth object grants are named after he was born in 1928 this week Uh, so some some good things we move on to 
Ooh, well, I'm actually here. I've got the microphone. Yeah, go oh, for gosh, it. Gosh, there's so much pressure. Ooh, maybe I can do something really quiet. Random space fact. <laughs> a little percussive thing on the end there made it. Okay. <laughs> Endeavor. I'll be going to the launch of Space Shuttle. Shut Endeavor. up! <laughs> It's the 25th launch of Endeavor that you have not seen. (laughs) (laughs) Just thought I'd point that out. But the last. Thank you. Thank you. The last. Mm -hmm. However, it will be coming out. uh, You can visit it on the ground since it will be displayed at the California Science Center after its career is over. And I surely will. And the tears will flow. (laughs) Gosh, I hope I'm not there. All right. We move on to the trivia contest. And I ask you, who was the first American general officer, so an officer who was some type of general, when he flew in space? And how'd we do, Matt? There were a variety of answers to this and a big response, but most people did get it. It was Thomas Stafford, who was, when he flew on Apollo Soyuz, 1975, a one-star general, which I take it is a, uh, a brigadier. Yes, a brigadier general. I believe he retired as a lieutenant general, a three-star. But he was a busy guy up there. As a lot of people pointed out, including Chet Twarog, that was just the last of his fights. He was the pilot for Gemini 6. He was the commander of Gemini 9. He was the commander of Apollo 10, which I don't know if he was a general at that point, but by 1975, yeah. Yeah, most of them, a lot of them end up uh, generals, or at least of that era, but very few flew as generals. Now, we did have one other good guess from uh, Torsten Zimmer, uh, but incorrect because we were looking for an American, and that was General Grievous. <laughs> good point. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that whole American thing. That's why That's why I specified American so people wouldn't get confused and call out General Grievous. He wouldn't have qualified as an American astronaut anyway because of the whole asthma thing. <laughs> it's true he might have been too tall also and i don't know if there's an arms limitation <laughs> they've all had two arms yeah. but i don't know if they prohibit four <laughs> anyway we move on to uh, our next trivia contest when apollo 11 came back from the moon kind of a kind of a big deal and people were there to uh, greet the astronauts on the uss hornet which i know we've talked about before And President Richard Nixon was there. Also, there was the father of a future American presidential candidate. Who was he who was on board the Hornet when Apollo 11 came back? The father of a future American presidential candidate. Go to planetary.org slash radio. Find out how to enter. Wow. You you have until Tuesday, May 3rd. Amazing, isn't it? It'll already be May before we answer this. Tuesday, May 3rd at 2 p.m. Pacific time to uh, get us the answer to this one and win yourself a Planetary Radio t-shirt. All right, everybody, go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about what you would put in a tiny little sample tube that you'd fly to space and back. Me! (laughs) You know, there's one more launch after this one. I'm going to go on a diet right now. (laughs) Did you say thank you and good night? No, thank you and good night. There it is. He's uh, Bruce Betts, the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society. He joins us every week here for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and made possible in part by a grant from the Kenneth T. and Eileen L. Norris Foundation. Clear skies and Godspeed, Endeavor. Endeavor.